Hey, well, welcome to Reengage. Uh, my name is John McGee. I am one of the directors of Reengage um, here at Watermark, director of marriage ministry. So, uh, normally I, I feel like I get a lot more mic time than uh, that I've had recently. Been trying to share that. So, uh, some many of you uh, I don't know, I haven't met yet, um, but uh, welcome. If this is your first time, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, tonight, um, we're going to have some Reengage leaders share with you about their experience. Um, as being a child of a divorced home, okay? And so they're going to each share a little bit about um, their story. And so here's what this is going to feel like a little bit. Um, do you remember in junior high, you go to health class, and they would show you this picture of, like, the, the black lung that you would get if you ever started smoking, you know? And then the guy who had emphysema in, in the oxygen running out and said, this will be you uh, if you smoke. You guys remember, remember that? It just kind of uh, scared you, or maybe, maybe it didn't. Maybe you thought you would... Uh, you would be the only one that that wouldn't happen to. I remember in high school, they always put the, uh, the bashed up car, you know, and it was like mothers of drunk driving out there. This will happen to you if you drink, you know, uh, kind of deal. It's going to feel a little bit like that, okay? Um, without, without some of the, uh, just, you know, the emotional um, manipulation uh, behind that. But the reason they showed me a black lung when I was, you know, about seventh grade, because they said, if, if you do this, you need to know uh, what it is that's going to happen to you. You, you you might accidentally just, or you might uh, just start smoking and have no idea what that does uh, to you. So we're going to tell you right now, uh, while you're young, while you have a choice, what will come at the end uh, if you choose to kind of go down this path. And so that is, in many respects, what uh, what these folks just kind of uh, wanted to share with you. And it's a deep it's a deep passion and a deep burden, given uh, the way their life is played out. That they want to share uh, kind of what they've learned, what they've experienced, so that you would know. If ever you were to contemplate that, and I think we could be candid that some of us in here uh, have had that thought, uh, are having that thought, what would happen if we got divorced, uh, you would know. You would know kind of what's coming, okay? Great. With those happy thoughts, um, this is Sonia McEwen, one of our rock star uh, leaders. She belongs to Matt uh, over here. And so, Sonia, I know that's kind of, that that is your story, and I know it well, but would you share it just for a few minutes uh, with these guys here? my pleasure. So some adjectives that I would use to describe myself growing up, um, just anxious, uh, insecure, lonely, uh, and lost. So my parents were high school sweethearts, and they married right out of high school, and were married for, uh, I guess, long enough to get pregnant and have me, and then just decided that it, it it was a bad idea, and so cut their losses and moved on. So within a year, they both remarried, And my mom is still married to the man that she um, met, who was 27 years her senior. And my dad um, had another marriage that failed and then moved on a few years later and married again and is still married to the woman who he married. So stepsisters and brothers, half-brothers and sisters, all of that was kind of my reality growing up. And because I was an only child of my mother, um, I, you know, there were some upsides to that, but um, definitely a lot of, of downsides too. Um, so my parents were, came, when I was seven, they came to Christ, which is kind of where my story of redemption started um, because things had been so dark and so lonely. Um, and I'm so glad that God had a plan, um, even through all of their uh, selfish decisions in my life. Um, 
Some of my most difficult memories were from elementary school. I just remember my dad was really um, characterized by, I would just say, selfishness. And he didn't live in the same state that we lived in most of the time. I saw him a few times a year. And he uh, was on a motorcycle. This was kind of the Forrest Gump, if you could picture that, you know, or the beard. And um, just bought a bike and took off to find himself. And I'm not really sure if he found himself or not. But I just know I didn't get to see him very much. And even though when I was with him, he said he loved me, it was very hard for my heart to believe that that was true. Um, And then other memories were just the weekends that he was supposed to have me, that my stomach always really got upset at school, and I would end up in the nurse's station. And as soon as that phone call was made to my dad that I was sick and I wasn't coming, miraculously, I really did feel better. And it wasn't that I didn't love him, but I just felt like it was just too much anxiety um, for a little girl to handle. So that's just a little mm. snapshot of it. I, well, I remember, too, you sharing one time a story about, like, you waiting for your dad. Do you remember, do you remember that? Do you mind sharing that? that this is really, can, can you? Yeah. Yeah, I'll try. Um, so some of my saddest memories of my life are uh, waiting in front of the window for my dad to come. And back then there were no cell phones and, you know, pay phones, I guess, were where he had to stop to call. But as a child, when you're excited about something and standing in front of that window with my little suitcase waiting, uh, my dad would often just be hours, six hours late. Some days, sometimes it was, he would be days after when he said he would pick me up. And I just remember just being so sad. And I had a little flashback happened a year ago when my dad and stepmom came started coming this way, ended up turning back and going home. And I stood in front of my window in my living room 42 years later and just cried. It like felt like it had all been triggered. All of my sadness had been triggered just that quickly. So, Yeah. When I think about just kids and divorce and the emotional carnage, I mean, I just, I've, I've literally before a song, you just kind of pictured you as a little girl just in front of that you know, window just kind of waiting uh, for dad, and yet you know, both anticipation and dread, um, the hard place that that is. So thank you. Thank you. Bob, you have some thoughts, buddy? Sure. Um, this is uh, Bobby and Sherry Johns. These guys uh, go together, and they are re-engaged uh, leaders with us as well. So yes. <laughs> like, like peas and carrots. So... Um, and Bobby did stand-up comedy uh, for a season, so yeah, have I, really high expectations for this time. I'm gonna, okay. I'm gonna, yeah, that's why I have the piece of paper so I don't riff. So um, the adjectives I would use would be uh, fragile, aimless, improvised, and confusing about childhood. Uh, my parents were divorced when I was 18 months old because my father was gay. Uh, this was really confusing to me until I found out about the time I hit puberty. Um, when I was small, the whole family was afraid uh, that I would turn out to be gay too. So when I found out about him, it made a whole lot more sense. Everything made a lot more sense. But um, even at a very young age, I was encouraged to notice women, uh, look at cheerleaders, and so on. And this was like throwing gasoline on a fire. Uh, I was very attracted to women, and it started a lifelong addiction to pornography, using uh, uh, starting with Playboy at the age of eight. Um, without masculine, godly men to teach me, I, I grew up with a distorted picture of men and women and who God really was. I grew up with a series of stepfathers until I was 12 and my mom's fourth husband, Step, he stuck. They were married for 20 plus years and he was the first stable father figure I ever had. He wasn't a perfect guy, but you know, he was a good moral man uh, and it was the first positive influence I, I ever had. But uh, the damage had already been done. I was already on a course uh, set for hedonism and debauchery. Um, I've heard it said, and I think it's true, 
that uh, our view of our father is really our first image of what God is like. And in my case, it was selfish, not present, uh, too busy with more important things than me, and everything was more important than me. So uh, I was like my father in that I let sex define my life. Uh, it drove my life. And, and until, until God stepped in, uh, broke me in and not so gently uh, to let me see the truth. Uh, ironically, he did it with my wife and kids. Yep. So uh, most of that was just a general lack of, of knowing what uh, a real man is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know, if you get that information from culture, it, you wind up being somebody that no woman would want. You wind up being this selfish little kid that doesn't have anything to offer, that doesn't do the things that real men do. And once you begin to get around people who are godly men and kind of explain that and, and separate the, the wheat from the chaff and explain to you what the real world works like, um, that's one of the things that makes the biggest difference about how to be a man in your family. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I think about kids now, you know, I mean, the worst you had to deal with was Playboy. And any kid with a smartphone now is just, you know, one, uh, one keystroke away from, you know, unbelievable uh, darkness. And uh, without two parents, I mean, it's hard enough, you know, with two parents, but with one who's, you know, uh, not you know, just, just trying to hang on and a dad that's disengaged, I just, I shudder to think. I think, think about what happened with my own kids, you know, and uh, how hard it is and how hard it will be. Um, our, our oldest is almost 16 um, now, and that's just, that is a topic we, t- last night, um, I looked at him right in the eye, I said, I'm a straight answer, have you seen anything um, that you shouldn't have and that you need to uh, repent of? And he knows he always gets grace, right? he, doesn't, he never gets slugged or time out or I mean you know uh, he, he gets grace but uh, he and I since the beginning have said we are going to be honest uh, around and he's got a dad that walks with him uh, through this and it's hard and it's really hard and to just just throw kids out uh, to the wolves with no uh, with no help and no safety net I mean it's it's it's, uh, it's pretty scary so so thank you uh, buddy so Shari yeah so my parents married young had me um, I was seven before my two brothers came along. <clears throat> and in that first seven years, I remember uh, my mom and I leaving and coming back and leaving and coming back multiple times. Um, she had my two brothers, like I said, when I was seven. So I think she decided to stay in the marriage, um, because of that. Christ wasn't a part of our Growing up, my mother, <clears throat> we went to lots of different churches. We were trying churches um, all over. I think she was just trying to find the thing, and, and she just never f- found it. And um, as years went by and the relationship grew worse, my dad turned to drugs and alcohol, um, and that pretty much dictated our household until when I was 15. Um, my mom had to take me and my two brothers literally like in the middle of the night to go and live in a women's shelter um, in hiding from him because it had gotten so bad. And we lived there for three weeks. Um, And I was 15. I had to leave my friends. I had to leave my high school. Um, We moved to another area. I had to start at a fresh high school after being out of school for three weeks. Um, And my mom married my stepdad pretty quickly right after it. and he had three kids, so I had step-siblings and then a half-sibling. Um, and 
I didn't speak to my dad or his side of the family for years, probably till I was in my early 20s. And then we, my dad and I, started to develop a relationship. Um, but I would characterize my um, growing up as uncertainty, insecurity, faithless, untrusting, and self-reliant. Um, I grew up thinking that I wasn't going to have a man take care of me, and I certainly wasn't going to submit to one. Um, and that just kind of was a very bad spiral for me. Um, I turned to drugs and alcohol and myself in my um, early years um, was pretty pr- promiscuous, decided to have an abortion um, because of a pregnancy, and it just rocked my world. Um, thankfully, I met this man, and um, we just, I mean, our, our marriage was hard and brought us here to re-engage, so thankfully, um, the Lord got a hold of us. That's good. That's good. Um, so, you know, in case, this, in case we don't loop back to this, there is redemption, right? Um, and, and all three, three for three so far. Uh, there's been healing. There's been repentance. There's been forgiveness that's um, extended and granted. And I know uh, Alyssa will get to some of that as well. Okay. And so all that's true. Um, and I, I love the way Ryan, uh, Ryan Nixon said it today. He said, you know, God can still like flex. He can still show off. He can take dire circumstances and, and make them, uh, make them good and, and still bring blessing. But you don't want to just like stack stuff on God, you know, keep <laughs> putting all this weight on him to make him flex, uh, even more. Um, there is a path that is good and it is right. And we trust in that. It goes well for us. It goes well for us. And, um, but I know that some of you are divorced um, in here. And I just, you know, one of the things we say around here a lot is that God's grace uh, covers a multitude of sins. And, uh, and, and you can have a great marriage with the person that you're sitting next to, um, even if, even if this is your second one, even if you've got kids you know, from two or three relationships. God, God can still redeem that. Okay, I want you to know that if we forget to say that. Um, but you just don't want to put yourself unnecessarily uh, in that position. Okay, God's got a good path um, that he's laid out for us. And we'll, if we follow it, uh, it will go well uh, for us. So good. Thank you. And, you know, so just in terms of like what's, what got scrambled, uh, among other things, your view of God, you know, uh, and all that, and just kind of your morality and, and uh, your choices. And so kids who don't grow up with mom and a dad, uh, statistically, uh, they spin out into a lot of, you know, the tame word is risky behaviors, but uh, they get pregnant, they use drugs, they get, you know, they uh, become addicted to alcohol, statistically at, a, at an incredible rate relative to uh, kids who grow up with mom and a dad. So, yeah. Laura? Adjectives that would describe me growing up are uh, really some of these are more what I struggle with as an adult. So slow to trust, performance driven, fearful, which leads to control and anxiety, and definitely self-reliant. My parents were divorced when I was five. My mom remarried when I was one, uh, excuse me, when I was 11 and divorced when I was 12. My mom remarried my stepdad, Mike, and was married for 30 years until he passed away a year and a half ago. I think one of the things that I remember learning through divorces is that men are unreliable and that you don't need their support to succeed. I was always taught that you can find peace and security through working hard and achieving your goals. 
This started the long struggle with self-reliance for me. I did not grow up in a believing home, and Jesus was not talked about, and there was not a relationship with him. My relationship with my mom, my brother, and what my friends thought and how well I performed would define me and my motives. I often struggle with trusting the Lord and also my husband, Jeff. My dad was unreliable and emotionally absent, and I learned to just not depend on him for anything, especially not to meet my needs. When I married Jeff, I was sure it would be completely different. I had unrealistic expectations, and I often wanted Jeff to validate me on all levels, almost proving to me that he loved me by his behavior. Again, not understanding that God calls us to a completely different type of self-sacrificing love. I think I had always I think I also had many fears about things not working out with Jeff and I considered um just growing up with divorces I just was very um scared of that and in the back of my mind kind of considered that an option. The fear has led to a great deal of anxiety and control which by the grace of God I am learning to surrender through his word, prayer, scripture, memory and community. Divorce has reminded me how much I need a Savior who can show me how to not make my needs the priority. He reminds me that one of my primary roles is to be Jeff's helpmate, which is completely against what my flesh tells me. Jeff and I love serving and reengage because it helps us to continue to work towards oneness, which, again, is opposite of what I grew up with and what the world tells me. Right. Thanks, Laura. So one of the things is, uh, you know, in that situation, a lot of times you're trying to get your needs, uh, your needs met. And so you come into marriage and you just go, well, this is the next venue, the next uh, playground in which I play to get my needs uh, met. And you put some really unrealistic expectations uh, on your spouse or on your marriage. Uh, and some, sometimes that's the script that starts to be played at that age. So really good. Melissa, you have any thoughts? Um, adjectives that I would use to describe myself um, are insecure, self-reliant, and self-protecting. 30 years ago, my dad set all of us down to tell us he was leaving. I was 12 years old, and my whole world changed that day. We had been a close family who did everything together, but all of that became a broken mess, and the life I knew was gone. My parents' divorce affected my six siblings and me in very significant ways, and the ripple effects of my dad's decision are still present today in our lives and in the lives of our children. Even though my dad stayed involved in our lives, I lost my protector and provider, and I soon learned how to navigate daily life without him. I became very self-reliant and independent, and I was determined to always take care of myself and never rely on anyone to provide for me. Because of the financial insecurity that the divorce created, I started working at age 13 and took on a caretaker role in my family. It was also at this time that I started turning to food for comfort, something I can still struggle with today. I felt a lot of anger toward my dad, and though I loved him deeply, I was an adult before I was able to forgive him for what he had done. The divorce has also affected me as a wife. My independent mindset caused me to look out for myself first, And because I was the caretaker in my family of origin, I prioritized their needs over my husband Shane's needs. It was hard for me to connect emotionally with Shane in the early years of our marriage, and even now I have a really hard time being vulnerable. In my darkest moments, I feel like I will never be able to love him the way I should because of how damaged I feel from the divorce. 
It is only by God's grace that we ourselves are not divorced, even though we came close. Today, our marriage is strong and sure, thanks to God's redemptive work in our lives. Um, The divorce has even affected me as a mom. Shane and I are raising our kids to follow God's ways, and we teach them that marriage is a lifelong commitment. So it's a difficult conversation to have with them when they ask why Gramps and Grandma aren't married to each other anymore. Mm -hmm. It's a hard thing to explain to a four-year-old, especially because we don't want our kids to think that one day Daddy and Mommy will change their minds the way Gramps did. These are conversations that I wish I didn't have to have. For those of you who are contemplating divorce and are believing the lie that kids are resilient and they will be okay, I would like to close with this. Several years ago, my dad called us, called us all together for a family meeting. My siblings and I were all curious as to what the meeting was about, and every single one of us jokingly said, maybe mom and dad are getting back together. This was ridiculous because they were both married to other people. <laughs> but I think it shows that even as adults, the desire of our hearts was for our family to be whole again. My dad actually called the meeting to ask for our forgiveness But in spite of the regret he now feels, it's too late to undo what was done. Even though I have forgiven my dad, the wreckage of his decision to divorce my mom is still a painful part of my life, and the sadness never completely goes away. Thanks. Thanks, Alyssa. Um, We're going to wrap up here in just a second, but I'm just curious. I mean, some of this has come out a little bit. Um, How has this impacted your marriage? Did you have a sentence or two? Um, Your your parents' divorce uh, impacted your marriage in in this way. Uh, Do you have any Do you have any thoughts on that? Anybody? Briefly, yeah. Good. Yeah. Okay. In the early years, I think I was worried that, and and I know I married a man whose parents have been married for Mm -hmm. sixty years. Mm -hmm. That I was a child of divorce. And therefore, you know, the reasoning went that if her parents divorced, it'll probably be easier for her. And so just the fear that kind of went with that, would that be my reality? Um, yeah, that's good. Okay, so just a fear rather than a comfort. I I, uh, I expect this to work out. There can off, There's oftentimes a fear that uh, it might not. I think, Alyssa, that's part of your story uh, as well. Good. Anything else? Well, it's one of those things where you don't know, you have no idea what it's supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. So you... You, you get all the information you can get, and some of it is just awful. Some of it is just terrible information. Mm-hmm. And until you get around somebody, it's kind of like, like me. I don't really take advice on losing weight from skinny people because they don't know what it's like. So I take advice on losing weight of people who used to be heavier. So <laughs> I want to get around people who have the kind of marriage that I want you know, and, and get advice from them. I wanted to see how to fix it, not to break it. That's good. Yeah, you just fill out a deficit coming into that. Yeah, good. Anything else? I was just going to say that I think the biggest impact it had on my marriage was that I had a very unswerving um, loyalty to my mom and my siblings, Mm -hmm. especially Mm -hmm. my sisters. And Mm -hmm. so when we got married, I did not leave that family and cleave to Shane and form a new family. And so that caused years of trouble because I always put them first and I was always there to rescue them. And that was really harmful. That's very, very common. So there's so much stress that happens in a divorce. Uh, the saying is that stress thickens blood. And so uh, parents and siblings tend to get really, really tight. I mean, they lock arms kind of through that stressful times, uh, which which is good. It's a good coping mechanism. Uh, the problem comes when you get married and it's time to unlock. And it's really hard because all you've known uh, is we huddle up and we stick together. And it's now time to leave 
your mother and father, and go, go be one uh, with someone else. That becomes really hard. Okay, I don't know if you picked up on the theme uh, with the gals, but you heard, I think it came up four times, self-reliant, 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 self-reliant uh, with the gals. So I would say strong woman, strong woman, strong woman, strong woman, okay, uh, which is morally neutral. That's good nor bad. Uh, but the dark side of that is self-reliance, uh, which doesn't play well uh, when the biblical picture of marriage is interdependence. If someone comes at marriage and says, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. I mean, I, I really don't need you. Um, then you, you will never experience the oneness uh, that, God, that God has. And so all of you have worked through in your own way, uh, but you were uh, a bit of a leg down uh, coming in. And it's been fun to watch all of you, I think, uh, knowing your stories. It would be fun to hear uh, even more. But uh, you guys have done an, amaz- an amazing job uh, working through that and pursuing oneness with your spouse. So thanks so much, guys, uh, just for sharing. Uh, we can give it up for these guys real quick. Okay? Thank you. Yeah, so I, I miss, that's pretty heavy stuff, you know. There's a black lung in uh, in health class. Okay, don't smoke, <laughs> don't get a divorce. Um, bad bad things happen. Okay, and so um, just a couple quick thoughts. I mean, one, don't believe a lie that it doesn't impact kids. Okay, you just heard that it does, and I could string out all kinds of research that would that would back that up. But it impacts kids, and does. For the next 30, 40, 50 years, okay? And if you don't have kids, you heard, you heard the story uh, of having to explain uh, about grandma and grandpa, right? Or someone else uh, in the family. And so recently we had a family, an extended family member get divorced. And we told them, they didn't have kids, but we told our kids and they wept. We sat in our living room, all six of us, and just wept. And you better believe that even though they didn't have kids, it impacted my kids, right? And it, we, got, we opened up our Bibles and we, we went through a, a biblical theology of what marriage is and what do you do when people fall and people sin, uh, but it impacted my kids. It will impact kids if you get married, okay? Don't believe the lie that it won't impact you or that somehow you will be happy, if you could just get rid of the, the albatross around your neck, which is the person that you're sitting next to, okay? Uh, if you've got kids, you will have to see them every single week uh, for the rest of your life. You will have to call. You will have to uh, work all these things out. And then statistically, um, they will ask couples if they are happier after they get married. And um, most of the time, they are not. They thought that was going to be, um, you know, uh, this, this blissful door they would walk through on the other side and everything would be amazing. And instead, many, uh, many people, most people uh, will say they are, they are significantly less happy than they were, even when they were in a marriage that was tough at the time. Okay, don't believe that lie that it won't impact you because it will. And don't believe the lie that it just kind of doesn't matter. It's just a divorce right? Life is short or, you know, we got to get on with this and find someone to be happy with. Um, What's at stake is the glory of God. If two Christians stand on the altar and look each other in the eye and say, till death do us part, it mirrors the covenant that God has made with us. The unconditional, irrespective covenant that God has made to us. And so when Christians marry and they love each other, it shows the world what God's love looks like. And when they, when they decide they no longer want to be married, it is confusing. It is confusing to the world. 
and we tarnish the glory in the name of God. This very same God that saved us candidly from hell. We would claim the covenant that he's made with us and yet break the one that we've made with our spouse. That is incongruent as a believer and it tarnishes the name of Christ. Okay? Some of you aren't contemplating tonight. Praise God. Okay? And I would just tell you, be sobered. Um, nobody, nobody plans to get divorced. Right? It, it is slow. Uh, nobody, you know, finds himself naked in a hotel room uh, with somebody they just, they just met uh, three minutes ago. Uh, there's, there's always a progression. And so you want to make sure that what you're doing, um, the way you're loving your spouse, uh, doesn't make them susceptible to that. We're always responsible for our own actions, but the ways we love or don't love our spouse can make, uh, can make them uh, susceptible. Okay? Um, and if we do a good job loving our spouse, they will be much less susceptible to uh, any temptation. This, this, uh, this Saturday, a friend walked up, and he had a seven-pound uh, smoked prime rib. He gave me in uh, this tin. He goes, hey, man, I got something for you. He just handed it to me. And I, you know, my knees kind of buckled. And I took it home after a long run. We put it on the, ca- the counter, and we just ate this, this prime, smoked prime rib all day long. And what I can tell you is when night rolled around, I wasn't walking the streets looking for something to eat. I was full. I mean, I had meat running out my ears and my pores. I was sweating prime rib. I wasn't looking for something to eat. And in the same way, I think when we love our spouse incredibly well, they're not looking for it somewhere else. They're good. They're full. They've got prime rib. I mean, they, like, it's so much of it, they, can't, they, they don't know if they could take anymore, and they're sure not looking for a bologna sandwich uh, out on the street. Okay? So you love them well. You make them full. Okay? Fun, you know, a funny story this week. <laughs> I'm not making this up. Um, this is a UPS driver that always comes by our house. Pam's developed a relationship with her and um, has done a great job just praying for her and loving, loving on her. And, um, and so Christmas, Christmas time rolls around. And uh, and she's got a little helper um, now. He's a kind of twenty year old kid, uh, just seasonal, you know, temp. And um, and so he he came by one day and met Pam, and she had some stuff for him. She gave him, and then she came by herself the next day, and she said, <laughs> I, won't, "I won't try to mimic her accent, but she just told Pam basically, yeah, that that young man." Uh, he noticed you, and he told me uh, how beautiful uh, you were, and wanted wanted to know what you were like uh, there. And so Pam and I laughed. I was like, "Now my my new competition is a twenty year old uh, temp UPS driver," you know. Um, and we we just kind of you know made a joke about it. But you know, Pam Pam follows Jesus. Um, I'm not I'm not trying to keep. I, I don't have to run on the treadmill super super hard so that she won't even look. Um, but it is my job um, to love her in a way that it just goes, that's just ridiculous to even think about. Uh, but if she was hungry, 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 suddenly a 20-year-old you know, part-time employee um, in a brown uniform could look good. And uh, <laughs> I would call that a bologna sandwich, you know. Um, but I have, to, I have to love my bride in a way that it just wouldn't, it wouldn't even cross her mind. And uh, we're to do that with each other. Okay? Some of you in here tonight were contemplating divorce. You are contemplating divorce. And I want to challenge you just to commit the way to, to your marriage the way Christ has committed to you. Matthew 19, 4 through 6. 
What God has joined together, let no man separate. And in the commitment lesson, we learned that if we close the doors, lock them shut, and give our best energies to our marriage rather than thinking about what's on the outside, really amazing things uh, will happen. Okay? I encourage you just to double down. Take divorce off the table. Take it out of your vocabulary. You should never say, you should never utter, you should never insinuate divorce. Ever. Ever. Okay? And stop thinking about it and ask God for just His grace uh, to love your spouse like crazy. Okay? So it doesn't become an option increasingly. So, proud of you. Really glad uh, that you guys are here. Okay? We have got one more week um, this year uh, to meet and re-engage. Next week will be our very last uh, week and re-engage. So make, uh, take advantage of tonight. Take advantage of the next night. Um, next week, think through your holiday plans together. How are we going to win? How are we going to move towards oneness and not rip each other's heads off through the stress uh, of all that? Spend some time in your group kind of thinking and praying uh, about that. But know that we won't be here uh, after uh, the 17th until uh, that first Wednesday uh, in January. Okay. Um, tonight, we've got uh, several different things that are going to happen here. We're going to split. Uh, those of you guys guys that are new, this is your very first time, we're going to have you come right here. This will be our newcomers group tonight. The Greens will meet with you. Uh, they'll share their story. They'll kind of orientate you to, to re-engage, tell you anything you want to know uh, about re-engage. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to, um, you don't have to ask any questions. We just want to let you know what it would look like to take a next step. That'll happen right here. Okay. If you've been to newcomers, but aren't in a closed group, 210, 11, and 12 are for you. You go out these doors, take a right and take a right over into the tower. Those, uh, those three rooms, just jump in there. We've got some great open group leaders, uh, you'll be good to go, okay? Uh, If you don't have a place to worship, Christmas Eve, uh, we have got five services, 12, 2, 4, 6, and 11. Okay? You can just walk in any one of those, and we would just encourage you to go somewhere uh, and worship um, on that day as, as we celebrate the coming of, of Christ. If you don't have any place to go, we'd love, we'd love to have you. It's always a really great week uh, around here at Watermark. Okay? Uh, so all of us, um, man, have a great night pursuing oneness, and we will see you next week. Thanks.